Welcome to Startup Jab. And welcome to episode 86 of Startup Jab. We promise it won't be boring. I am 86. Oh, 86. Huh? Did I say 86? It's 26. Somebody catch me on that. Feels like it. You know, <laughs> with you, it feels like 86. Mm-hmm. I said it. <laughs> welcome to episode 26. We promise it won't be boring because it hasn't been already. Uh, I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Ellis. With me as always, the Amy Polar to my Tina Fey, Teague Hopkins. Teague, how are you, buddy? Uh, yeah. Pretty great. Pretty great. That's 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 an excellent uh, comparison. I to try for something new. I, I wish I were oh, that you funny. are, just in your own way. Truthfully, I mean, if we're talking about actual archetypes, you're a little bit more the Tina Fey, and I'm a little bit more the Amy Kohler, but I can't pull off blonde hair like that. Mm. So, Whereas I can certainly pull off blonde oh, yeah. hair. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's been an interesting couple of weeks. You know, we're also... Uh, you know, we're acknowledging today the uh, since our, our I think since our last episode the loss of uh, of a couple of great uh, uh, you know musicians and and uh, actors in the day. Uh, David Bowie, of course, being sort of the big news, uh, secondary perhaps only to Alan Rickman, um, but also you know, we lost Glenn Fry too from the Eagles, which is actually a pretty big hit. Lemmy before that, we had Natalie Cole. What the hell is up with 2016, dude? Yeah, I mean, you know. People get older. Well, yeah, but but all of them dropping like flies within the first three weeks of the year, a sign of things to come. Do you think those doomsday cults are finally getting what they said they were going to have for all this time, that the world is coming to an end as signaled by the loss of the godless celebrities that apparently they also hate? I mean, I'm just saying. All hell's There you go. All hell's orb. <laughs> oh, another Parks and Rec reference. Uh, you're my boy. Anyway, we've got a lot to cover today. I don't want to. I don't want to take up too much of it of predicting the doom and gloom of celebrities across the world. One of them <laughs> is going to listen to this and write in, and then we're going to just respond. Oh, good. Uh, celebrities listen to us, but that's not the point. Exactly. There we go. Um, so today we're going to talk about a ton of stuff as usual, uh, and of course we'll be taking uh, questions and and all the uh, the interesting stuff that can come out of that. But I want to start first by talking about something very specifically related to the, the adventures of, of uh, an entrepreneur. Um, there's an article that came out from Buffer, and yes, that is the same Buffer that for those of you who do social media programming, you'll recognize. Um, they have a really robust blog. I absolutely recommend taking a look at it. They have an article from this past December on a concept called the healthy uncomfortable. And this is something that if you've been building your own business, you are very, very familiar with. Uh, Teague, Teague uh, you yes. must have some of this. Uh, I know I do. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, there's, there's a couple pieces of the article that I really like. Um, and the first one is, is the, the diagram of, you know, you've got this, these concentric circles in the middle, you've got your comfort zone, right? And then one step out from that is the courage zone where you have, you know, growth and opportunity, confidence and bravery. And then beyond that, there's another, there's another outside ring that they call the terror zone, which is where you get to paralysis and overwhelm. And that's like, okay, sometimes, Sometimes you feel like you're you're a little bit too far out and you need to just like pull it back a little bit. And then other times you feel like, okay, I'm getting a little bored, time to time to push. But it's it's you know, trying to get into that middle, that middle zone where you are constantly pushing yourself and constantly growing, but without getting overwhelmed and, and without getting complacent. 
Yeah, I would say that that the thing for me that's really interesting about it is just how ubiquitous um, the experience is for everyone. Uh, and that, that it doesn't necessarily even apply to just those that are starting a business, but in fact applies to everyone across the board. Um, I find I was having a conversation with, of all people, my mother the other day who is trying to get back into writing and illustrating. And when I was growing up, she was a phenomenal uh, artist at both. Um, but it's been so long since she's really pursued any seriously that she's suddenly in that spot where she's pushing out of her comfort zone. And I think your point to the the diagram is absolutely perfect, that there's there's somewhere in between you know, comfort zone and terror zone where, you know, you just have to have some courage to, to try the new thing. Um, in my mother's case, it's picking up a damn pen and doing something with it, but that's neither here nor there. I, I think for many of us, it's, it's picking up a whatever and doing something with it. It's the, you know, getting beyond the planning stage and actually doing something. And, and then, you know, once you've started doing something, sharing yeah. it with people, and I know, you know, for me, that's one of the hardest things is, is when I have started something, I don't feel like it's quite ready yet, but really just need to, you know, go ahead and send it out there, get it in front of, of a few people. And it's it's going to be so much more valuable than if I try to perfect it and then put it in front of those people and get their feedback. Absolutely. Well, and I think in terms of the question of feedback, you also can find some little tips and tricks to help yourself get past that discomfort. Time boxing is my favorite technique. If I say I've got to make an uncomfortable decision and I've only got 20 minutes to hem and haw about it, and then I really need to make a decision, you force yourself into that action. And I think that's incredibly important when when you're facing your own anxiety, your own resistance, your own sense of self-doubt, um, forcing yourself to make a decision is often, even if it's not necessarily the right decision, quote unquote, it is ultimately the decision that needs to be made in the moment. And you're just going to have to deal with the consequences. Um, utilizing yeah. that. No, I love time. Boxing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I keep wanting to get a T-shirt made that says something like, um, no matter the question, time boxing is the answer. That's a very appropriate response for a lot of the questions that we have to deal with as entrepreneurs and startup founders. Um, and truthfully, actually, it's, it's the question that we all need. I mean, you know, what do I want? To, what do I need to make for dinner? I don't know. Time box it. Give yourself 10 minutes to think it through and then just pick a damn thing and eat it. Because. Right. Because if you plan for 12 hours, it's no longer dinner. No. If you plan for 12 hours on a meal, then you're just starving. Actually, boy, there is a perfect image that we should save for something in the future. That is spectacular. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Anyway, so so I think that the one thing to really the question to ask oneself is what are the ways in which we're intentionally making ourselves uncomfortable? I, as I've shared here, have merged my business with another. I'm doing something totally different. I'm in a position in a place right now that is definitively challenging um, and things could go a lot of different directions and many of them OK and many of them not good. And I think this is the only place in which I find where I can grow because otherwise I'm just comfortable and I'm sitting there and I'm doing my thing. Do you, do you yeah. have the same experience? Yeah. Well, and I really like the, um, the six uncomfortable questions that, that are at the end of that buffer article. Mm -hmm. um, I thought those were great prompts for, um, for sort of get, digging deeper into exactly that question you just asked, which is, you know, where am I actually pushing beyond my comfort yeah. zone and uh, going through those. So the, the, the first one, um, do I keep doing what's always been done or challenge old assumptions and try new approaches to mm -hmm. problems? No problem there. I'm, I'm always challenging old assumptions, perhaps too much on occasion. Um, and the second one, do I proactively seek new challenges or just manage those I already have? I think, you know, I, I feel like I'm always looking for, for new challenges. It's I get bored if I don't have new challenges. 
But it's it's those next four. Well, okay, maybe not the last one. The last one's about um, do I speak my mind, and I I tend to speak my mind pretty. Uh, I believe that that is um, fact. first of all nice use of the word <laughs> vociferously. Second of all, I think that that is never a question for you. You always speak your mind. It's it's not a bad quality for the most part. For the most part. So I'll say it's those. It's those. Yeah, right, <laughs> for the most part, it's it's those other three that I could that I could probably work on. Um, right. It's the, it's this. You know, do I risk being exposed and vulnerable, or act to protect my pride and patch of power? That's you know, we we're just talking about the like wanting to polish something before actually putting it mm -hmm. out there, before actually saying, hey, here's a thing that I'm working on that I care about. Tell me what you think of it. Um, and uh, and the next the the, the what is this? The fourth one. Um, do I ask for what I really want or just for what I think others want to mm. give me? I think so many people could get better. At sure. That. Absolutely. I think that is, that is a, a really difficult um, challenge for a lot of folks is, is, you know, we don't want to ask for things that we think people might say no to. Um, yes and no. I mean, I, yeah. I agree with you to an extent. I think that if you're going to embrace the idea to those two questions specifically, I think we're going to embrace the idea of being, a boundary pusher for yourself, then you have no choice, right? And and it is absolutely true mm. that if you don't push yourself in that direction, it's very easy to stay in this sort of small little concentric circle of comfort. Um, but I actually, to be honest, I, I would I would argue that the fourth question, the one about being vulnerable more than being polished, is the thing that actually I think holds people back the most. Um, in my experience, you know, there are very few people, myself included, who I would I would say have really understood what it takes to be vulnerable with other people in a conventional sense because we're vulnerable and challenge some we're going to channel some Brene Brown here you would um she's fantastic she but my point simply is that there are a lot of people out there who feel in their lives and I don't just mean in their professional lives but in their personal lives as well that need to be protected you need that wall you, I need to defend myself against any oncoming attacks and the vulnerability applies not only to letting people in, but also to letting yourself out a little bit too, to step on that, that shaky branch. Um, and I think ultimately that's what boils down to whether people take the risks, you know, contrary to every, or excuse me, superseding everything else. If you don't feel like you're in a vulnerable, if you don't feel safe in vulnerability, then you're, you're never going to make any changes or push in any uncomfortable directions. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think in a lot of ways that's why it's so important to have a strong support network as an entrepreneur, as anybody working in, in an area where there's a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty, because sometimes it's not gonna go well. Sometimes you are gonna, you know, get knocked down and you need to, you know, you can't you can't rely solely on yourself to get back up. I get knocked down. You're thinking about I get up again. You. Yeah. Yeah. You're never gonna keep me down. You knew that was coming. As soon as you said that line, you should have known that mm -hmm. that reference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because no, I, I absolutely knew I walked right. right into that one. I mean, you and I are a child of the nineties. Get over it. Anyway. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I think. Um, and No, please. You. Yeah. I, insist. No, I, I think yeah. I, I was going to say just, I, I want to, uh, I want to throw out the, the, the fifth question in there also, because we didn't just didn't mention it about, um, do I toot my own horn to ensure Others know what I'm capable of, or just hope my yeah. efforts will be noticed. Um, I don't know about you. I have a lot of trouble with that one. I think you know I'm I'm very uncomfortable talking about my accomplishments, and uh, and I think it's it's you know a lot of the when you when you go through so many years of schooling where it's ostensibly a meritocracy, and then you get to the real world, and it's kind of like well, 
it's it's not so much about being good at stuff. It's the combination of the you know maybe the the the, the intersection of being good at stuff and um, and telling people about it. It's the you know the the concept of luck surface area, right? Do cool sure. things and tell people. I don't about know. It. I mean, I think the. I think for me, actually, it's it's I'm not afraid or unhappy in talking about my accomplishments. I don't think of them. I mean, I live in a I live in a very, mm. you know, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. Which is a question I say to myself, not to anybody else. But I live in that sort of world for myself. That sense of what have I done recently that I I can I can hang my hat on. And I'm not very good, you know. Can actually can we can we go off off topic for two seconds? Because actually, this is something I'm happy to share. But I want to. This is like, this is actually like things I've spoken to my therapist about if we want to go down that road. Okay. Sure. I'll take it. Sounds like a good So tangent. I am particularly not good about acknowledging and recognizing the things that I have accomplished. And some of that is the result mm -hmm. of the, just the way that I'm built. And, and I think you and I are both in that same vein. We look for the things that we're good at and we try to continue to build on them, to grow on them, but we don't want to rest on our laurels. We want to keep doing good things. When I find myself resting on my laurels, I'm in the the opposite side of this whole, you know, uh, embracing the uncomfortable. And I sit square in the middle of, I'm really happy with myself. I'm going to do great. When I encounter a challenge, my first thought is, is I'm, you know, fight or flight. I'm flight. I mean, my people survive by running as fast as they could in the other direction. And I don't often think about the risks that I've taken already, the accomplishments that I've gotten out of them, and the failures that have turned into successes as a result. Um, I don't know if other people share this. I suspect that some, in, in fact, probably many do. But I think it's one of those challenges that we often think is really specific and unique to us, that we somehow are not as good as everybody else. It dovetails into imposter syndrome very quickly. But as a result, we end up not acknowledging that actually many of us are smart, capable, risk-taking individuals who just sometimes need to get our brains reset a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you hit the nail on the head with imposter syndrome, right? I think for, for, the, for people who are not familiar, imposter syndrome is the idea that um, you have somehow slipped through the, the, the filters and, and you will be found out yeah. any day now and you will, you know, everybody will realize that you're not as good as, as, as you seem to be. Um, and it's one of those things that, you know, Sure. Almost everybody in a high-performing environment feels that way well, to some degree. And, and honestly, it's um, really easy to fall into the habit of feeling comfortable with where you are and not realizing that around you things are happening that you're not getting caught up on. I mean, I again, I'm, I'm totally you know telling my story here, I guess, but um, I had to have a conversation with one of my business partners about the fact that you know my presentation to others in the office wasn't matching what I what it needed to be, simply because I was just in a comfortable spot and I knew what I could get done and. You know, well, if I'm watching a YouTube video or two, that's not a big deal, right? That stuff matters. Um, and I think in the end, it, it, it forced me to take a step back and recognize the position that I was in and realize that it was time to step up my game and put myself back in that uncomfortable position and to ultimately decide if I was going to participate or, you know, pardon my language, shit or get off the pot. So I know we're, we're labeled explicit on iTunes for a reason. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. No, I, that's that. That all rings true to me. Yeah, I think it's also it's also easy to um, you know to, to sometimes fall fall into the trap of the things that I feel like are accomplishments yeah. versus the things that other people see as accomplishments, right? And and you know I think that 
so Hannah in the chat is, is talking about uh, sometimes there are things I do that certainly there are certainly accomplishments and I can you know I can know that intellectually and I, other people can tell me that but it doesn't feel like that to me because I can I'm like I'm, I'm seeing all the things that I planned to do and didn't do or the things that sure. I that I you know could take could take it a step further and haven't yet. I think there's a difference between what people see in, you know, sort of on stage versus behind the curtain, if you'll allow me the theater metaphor. Oh, absolutely. Um, There's a difference between what people, there's a difference between what people see and perceive and they interpret versus what you do to yourself. And, and, you know, as, Mm -hmm. as, you know, Mm -hmm. as Andy's saying in the, uh, in the chat here, we're our own worst critics by far. I am absolutely far harder on myself than most people are which isn't to say that I don't get justified criticism from other people. It's just that when I do, it gets amplified 100,000 times because I'm an erotic <laughs> Jew and that's what I do to myself. <laughs> All right. Maybe not the Jewish part, but every other part of that is absolutely fair in terms of, you know, classification and clarification. But my point being, you know, I think that we spend a lot of time worrying about what other people think. And we spend a lot of time worrying about sure. them seeing us, for some sort of perceived falsehood, when in reality, sometimes it's okay to acknowledge, it's not about humility or modesty. Sometimes it's good to acknowledge your successes and to be okay acknowledging your failures as well oh. and just balancing the two out. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I do want to ask, because I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this and I have some resources I'm happy to share as well. You know, what do we think would be some ways that people could find a support network or some some sort of I don't know, some sort of coaching to find ways to work through these problems. I mean, what's been successful for you? Um, yeah, I, I don't know whether my, whether my approach has been, uh, is, is really indicative of, of anything. It's sort of been a, a piecemeal approach. I, you know, I've, I've gotten really involved in the startup community in DC and I, I speak at a lot of events and I sort of, I, I as a result, kind of, I see the same other speakers and, and sit on panels with the same people time and again, and that sort of has be, become part of my um, my community and my support yeah. network. Um, I know there's also there's there's you know there's like founder and, and CEO um, groups, things like uh, like mm-hmm. Vistage or, or Netcedo. I don't know. I've never um, participated in one of those, but I know that some people find sure. those valuable. So for those unfamiliar, um, though, um, Netcedo and Vistage and I think there's Young Entrepreneurs Club and there's a bunch of different ones. These are organizations. Mm-hmm. Netcedo is specific to DC, but if you're in the area, it's certainly worth checking out. Um, but these are organizations that are built to provide support and essentially, I mean, I don't want to call it group therapy, but group conversation around how you as an entrepreneur can better manage your your work, your work-life balance, your process, your strategy, et cetera. Um, I think that, yeah. yeah. And a lot of it is, a lot of it is built on the um, the understanding that when when you're the CEO, you you know it, it's lonely at the top, yeah. and you can't really share your your fears with your employees because you don't want to freak people out. I mean, you want to be honest about what's going on sure. in the company, but but there's there's a line you draw between like the things that are actually going wrong, and the things that you're afraid might go wrong. Um, you don't need to burden everybody else with that. Um, and so sometimes the only people you can talk to who really understand that are other, other CEOs or, or sometimes CEO coaches. Well, that is the truth. Executive yeah. Coaches. I definitely made the rookie mistake yeah. of sharing a little bit too much detail with one of my employees at one point and had to rectify that over time. It's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, well, I mean, you know, when it's you and one or two other people in the office and sometimes you, even as the CEO, sometimes overlap the, we're friends, we're employed, you know, you're my employees, et cetera, that line blurs and, you say one thing and suddenly you realize that was squarely in the, you're my employee. I should not have shared that with you line. And 
you know, mm-hmm. not that anybody was going to quit or anything weird, but it was just strange. It was a hard conversation to have to have after that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of that stuff is being in that uncomfortable place for me. I, I know that that's the right place. I know that that's the place that gets us where we need to go in the end. It never gets easier, does it? It never gets better. It just gets something, just gets more repetitive, I guess. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 the um, same problem, different magnitude, okay. right? Like as as you're growing, the, some of the same problems crop up, but you have to deal with them in different ways as the company is growing, and and you, you know, it's as you said, like if there's only like three of you and there's you know two founders and an employee, sometimes you you don't want to share stuff with that one employee yeah. that you would share with the other founder, but the same, you know, you run into the same problems when you're 25 or, or 50 or a hundred people. Um, it's just the, the magnitude of the problems may be slightly different. Boy, that is true. Yeah. Well, that certainly generated quite a bit of conversation. Any last thoughts on that before we move on? Uh, I, I have a feeling we, we will keep coming yeah. back to that one time and again. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, uh, I think the, uh, I don't know. I think that ultimately this is a conversation worth talking about over and over again. Um, for those of you listening, I would love it if you'd give us your thoughts, questions, concerns, because we'd love to hear more about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's definitely a challenge that never, that never goes away. Yeah. So <laughs> moving, moving on from the sort of existential startup problems to the, the slightly more tactical startup problems. Um, We've got a, a set of questions here. Um, I mentioned that I, I speak on panels from time to time, and tonight I'm speaking on one of those panels um, for the Startup Leadership Program here in mm-hmm. D.C. And uh, they've got a list of questions that we're going to talk about tonight. And so I thought maybe we would uh, I, I would use this as an opportunity to practice a couple of those answers, um, get a head start. Um, so we're going to we're going to take a couple of those questions that we thought might be interesting to a wider audience and, and dive into them here. Let's do it. I'm um, super excited. Too much? I was a <laughs> little, little hard there. I'm sorry. No, it's good. It's good. The excitement is good. I'll, I'll take what I can get. Um, so the first question deals with, and in fact, a bunch of these questions are, are dealing with um, some of the uh, big challenges that face uh, startups that are in the in, in the you know scaling phase, right? Um, it's about uh, customer acquisition and finding those first customers and and, and how you grow into that. Um, so the first question we've got is um, is about channels, and it's um, you know, we, we know that it's easy to waste a lot of money in the wrong channels, right? Especially if you're, if you're not taking a, a measured approach to it, if you're not running right. small experiments to see what works, it's easy to sort of pour money into something and then not realize for six months that that money is just going down the drain. Right. Um, and so the question is, is about what customer acquisition channels, uh, did you initially choose to target your first customers and why, and how do you know? if a channel is working for you or not. Well, I suppose that's a little bit like saying, I know I need a car, what kind should I get? I mean, I think that, well, sure. yeah. Yeah. you know, let's talk about it from a sales perspective. So there's a very different approach mm-hmm. when you're selling a product, which is a one-time purchase versus a service or a subscription or any sort of one-on-one therapy type, you know, just because we were talking about it earlier, but any type of one-on-one engagement in that way, coaching, teaching, et cetera. Um, all of those have very different answers. Uh, I would say, and this is where Kiki gets angry at us, 
that you can lean startup your way through that question by putting out feelers in a couple of different areas, but being methodical about it and keeping the cost low by doing it on a very pragmatic level. Um, if somebody's selling clothes, for yeah. example, I mean, I go out with 25 t-shirts and just see if 25 people will buy them. It, you know, when it comes to selling a service, can I call enough people that I can get 10 people to give me their credit cards? I think that, that one of the challenges with that, and I'm sure you would agree with this, Teague, is that it's, it's not about knowing ahead of time, like, it, it's not about choosing the right acquisition channel. It's about starting in a place and learning from that and then, you know, driving it as you need to. Music to my ears. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree that, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't so much matter which acquisition channel you choose yeah. to start with. It matters more how quickly you can pivot from that one to one that's yeah. actually working. Um, and so a lot of that ties into the second part of the question, you know, how do you know if a channel is working for you? Well, you have to yeah. measure it, right? Um, you have to actually design an experiment and, and set yourself a time box going back to our discussion on mm -hmm. time boxing. Um, and, uh, and then, and then also set a minimum success criteria so you know, be, like before you start, tell yourself, you know, write down what what means that this is a successful channel and what means this is not a right. successful channel because it's easy to go, like afterwards go back and, and look at the and the numbers and say, well, that that seems pretty good. Let's let's keep doing yeah. that, right? Um, but what you want what you want to capture is before you started, what did you what did you expect Absolutely. to get out of it? Um, and if you're running small experiments, it's it's often easy to run those experiments with multiple channels in parallel, right? You can you can easily test, for example, um, Facebook ads and you know Google AdWords and I don't know what what other what other paid marketing oh, things do people even yeah, use now? Twitter, Twitter Facebook, Google sure. AdWords, yeah. Pinterest, Instagram. Um, it's, it's all the social channels now, right? Effect yeah. Effectively, yeah. And actually, you don't even necessarily need to spend money on it if you can go to your own Facebook feed. If you, you know, if you're like me and you're super popular and you've got a bunch of people that you can call on and say, hey, guys, I'm trying this thing out. If anybody's genuinely interested in it, give me your credit card information. Uh, in fact, if, if nobody signs up from that, they're your friends. They're supposed to do the nice stuff for you. If they don't, you really don't have any trust and you need to think about some other way of pursuing your customers. I mean, I'm going to type my, my credit card information into your Facebook post as a comment, right? This is your social security number. I'll take care of the rest. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. No, yeah. there's plenty of channels available and you're absolutely right. In fact, actually, uh, you know, when I've run startup weekends or when we've done the, you know, the lean startup machine and all that stuff, I mean, if you happen to have $50 that you can put towards buying against a Facebook campaign, even with a relatively short period of time, you can learn a lot very quickly. Um, the challenge mm -hmm. ultimately is making sure that you're targeting the right kinds of things. It doesn't really help it doesn't really help me if I'm selling you a service to see if that you want to also buy the hats and t-shirts we happen to be selling on the side, right? I mean, as, as blunt and uh, inelegant as that example is, I think it still bears true that a lot of people test things they don't need to test and they don't, they worry about the wrong things. They, they tend to think about the pretty stuff when they sometimes need to focus on the meat and potatoes. Yeah. Well, I, I want to go back to, to a couple of things that you mentioned earlier and just pay particular attention to them because I think mm -hmm. they're really important. One, um, in the beginning, a lot of it is you call people up and try to sell them your service, right? right? If, if you don't have a hundred customers yet, then you're not ready to actually go out and, and do mass market ads or, or try to build a, an inbound marketing platform or try to do any of these, these, you know, replicable and scalable mm -hmm. models. If you're in your first hundred customers, you really just kind of need to actually call people up and do the things that don't scale and like 
offer to help them solve a problem and find out what they say, because you'll learn a lot more that way than if you put up a landing page and see whether you can sure. drive traffic to it. Right. I think we've talked before on the show about the, uh, the bandwidth of communication mm-hmm. curve. And at the top of that, you know, it's, it's, it's the amount of information you get out of each interaction. And at the top of that, you've got your, your face-to-face interaction when you actually sit down with a prospect and talk to them about the thing that you're trying, the problem you're trying to solve. You get a lot more information than if you send someone to a landing page, right? If you send someone to a landing page and they're not interested, you get no directional information about why they're well, not interested. And interestingly, you also, you can learn lessons even after when you anticipate it. Just, you just reminded me that the weekend that, that many, many moons ago, when I was working on my lean startup machine project on, I don't know, cheap marketing for ebook authors. It was such a bad idea. But even though at the actual end of the weekend, we didn't have as much data as we wanted for like three days after we suddenly got a flood of responses from self-published ebook authors who actually had very interesting things to say, which would have totally changed the course of the work that we had been offering. Um, so I, I think that, sure. that one of the things that we sometimes do is set false expectations around when we actually think that we've mm-hmm. either come to an answer or haven't. Um, and it can be equally detrimental to set a false timeline for yourself and to try to artificially drive yourself in a particular direction. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and in particular, like we're not looking at, uh, at, at medical studies or randomized controlled trials here. We're doing, we're making business decisions. And so at some point, like we're not getting proof. We're getting down to, you know, is this a reasonable bet yeah. to make? Right. It's, it's, in a lot of ways, I like to uh, I like to make the analogy to to you know to blackjack or to poker. It's it's not am I one hundred percent certain this is going to work? It's do I want to make this bet and see what the next yeah. cards are? Well, and there's a reason that more people do sort of if you want to make money, they tell you to go play poker or blackjack because the odds are relatively consistent based on your understanding of you know what to do in certain moves. I mean, I'm not saying that it's by any means foolish. As, as opposed to roulette. Yeah, or craps. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right, right, right. So, yeah. and, and actually, <laughs> I was reading an article the other day that was talking about if you go to a casino, what you should do. And they say, if you just want to make money, go to the blackjack table. Here's a table of all the different moves that can happen. Memorize this. It, it, Sean in the chat is saying that craps actually has the best odds in the house, which may be true, but it, there, isn't, there isn't the same kind of methodical approach that you can do as you can in, say, blackjack, where it's, Based on what you have and what the dealer has, the smartest move is X. And if you just let that system extend until infinity, you will eventually make some money back, if not more than what you started with. Um, Basically, it's saying don't don't play don't just play uh, random odds. Play something where where skill can actually make a difference and and then actually get yeah. good at that skill. I mean, having said that, right? it's a lot more if fun to can... play craps. It's a lot more fun to get it right at roulette. There is a difference. <laughs> <laughs> I have. Fair point. I have Fair never point. won money at a casino. I always walk out poorer. So I might not be the best guy to give this advice. On, on average, that is that is hmm. the way they work. Right? If you assume you're, that's, that's right. well, well, if you assume you're going to lose, then you're going to have fun at least. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Spend yeah. your money on the buffet, as Mr. Wonderful is telling us. Um, yeah. Anyway. So the, the other thing, I wanted to go back to the other thing you said about... Um, if you're if you're posting on Facebook and you're and you know and your friends aren't even saying like yeah I'm interested in that then then you really know you don't have something and and conversely if, if the feedback that you're getting is yes this is awesome but it's only from your friends and family you have to discount Absolutely. that as well Absolutely. right yeah no I think that that in any instance where somebody has a a strong opinion of you in the positive. And they're saying, yes, absolutely. I would totally pay for that. And here's my credit card information. You have to assume that it's because they like you. It's only good if you get a non-response or a negative response that tells you you're absolutely in the wrong direction. Positive response in opposition does not necessarily mean you're in the right direction. 
Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So the next question that we have from the from the list of the SLP questions is uh, is about the difference between early adopters and the rest mm. of the market. And we've we've got a question about um, what lessons you've learned with segmenting your customers and creating target strategies based on those segments. Um, and then how did you reference? How did you use references or client success stories to grow your customer base? So this is there's a couple of different things mm -hmm. sort of rolled together yeah. in this question. Um, the first one about uh, early adopters versus the rest of the market, I think, is, is an interesting one. And then we'll, we'll sort of we'll, we'll transition into the rest of the question. Yeah. Depending on the business, early adopters make or break you. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, you know, I mean, we have, you know, in the, here in the live audience, you know, Sean, who's the CEO of Lab, who I'm sure would probably attest to the fact that, you know, early adopters help get a lot of the momentum and growth and, and attention to the, the platform. Um, you know, I know that from my days at Hulu, if we hadn't had a lot of really diehard people in the beta who were talking up a storm the day that we went public, um, you know, that would have that would have negatively affected our our impact. Um, conversely, they're not necessarily they don't necessarily make you every time either. You can have a passionate user base that starts off as an early adopter, you know, segment, but never carries you because you're really meant for the you know, you build something that's really cool to people who like a really specific you know, nerdy thing, but that doesn't translate to a larger, more general audience. Right. One, well, and you can also run into the challenge of if you over-optimize for your early adopters, yeah. you may you may be moving away from something that would be more interesting to a mainstream sure. audience. Right. It's 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 an easy trap to fall yeah. into when you have you know when you've got a small customer base and you are um, and you're getting feedback from them, which is wonderful. Right. Like early customers who give you feedback are worth their weight yeah. in gold. Um, but, but if you, if you over-optimize for that before you get some folks in who are, you know, late adopters or, 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 uh, or, you know, the early majority or late adopters, you know, segments, um, based on crossing the yeah. chasm, right. <laughs> um, right, I figure we should, we should reference it's, 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 uh, Jeffrey Moore. Is that the, it's not Thomas Moore. Jeffrey oh, that's utopia. Never mind. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Right. Different one. Um, utopia is what happens after you, after right, you sell exactly. your startup. Or win the lottery. Yeah. Um, or, or yes, or, or win it, uh, win it go. craps. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so the, the crossing the chasm, if you, if you, um, if you over optimize for your early adopters, you may end up moving away from the, the things that would actually be attractive to an early majority. And it can be, it can be dangerous because you, you know, you, you, when you're getting that feedback, it's easy to see that as the, the whole universe of users. Um, and even, you know, even when you have a lot of, a lot of users, it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes to, uh, to, to see that, you know, the people who give you feedback are, are the vocal minority yeah. in some cases. Yeah. There may be a lot of folks who are using it and using it well and, and just aren't telling you because it works fine the way it is and, and they don't need you to change it. Well, and I think that there's a, a great deal to be said for knowing your audience. It may be that your early adopters are your only audience and maybe it's okay to double down on that. Um, I think that there are, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'm sure if we took five minutes to do some Googling, there are probably plenty of companies that said, oh, we want to build a thing that works for everybody and then found a thing that really works for a certain subset of people and they grew it from there. Maybe even, I mean, actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, it's not quite the same, but Instagram is probably a great example of, you know, a service that wanted to build photo editing that was accessible from your phone. What they really ended up with was something where a lot of people really like just the filter part of it. And they went, okay, let's just do that instead. And let's focus on that audience, that audience. And that grew them to the multi-billion dollar company that they became. Must yeah. be nice. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, as we said, it's the same problems, larger True. scale. I would just, I would like that scale. That would be nice for me. High quality High problems. problems, exactly. Right. Um, well, and Tina, I'm curious on your thoughts on this because you know the question of of using references or client success stories to grow your your customer base. I know that that's something that we are constantly using in our in our business development and outreach. I assume that you're doing the same thing in yours. It it it, it accounts for at least ninety percent okay. of my business. Um, it, in fact, it in in sort of in, in early days, it was so successful that I kind of neglected building other marketing mm. channels. Um, which can yeah. be a problem because like referrals are great and they come to you and they're warm and they already, you know, they, they've, they've sought you out. But um, then, then when you don't have referrals, you don't have a gas pedal to push down on to be like, okay, fill the pipeline. Yeah. Now you're just sort of like sitting around waiting for, for somebody to, uh, to hear about you and, and want to work with you. And yeah. um, so it's, it's a great, you know, it's a great channel. Um, it has some problems if you use it in isolation, which I have definitely uh, fallen. Yeah, to. absolutely. Um, yeah, as somebody who does, I mean, where my agency is a little too young, and particularly with the merger, it's not the brand recognition isn't there yet. But we have to use customer, uh, you know, customer success stories as our ways of gaining trust for people who sometimes have been referred to us, and sometimes we're speaking to cold. And even though I'm not a guy who spends his day just calling people and trying to get their business, it it matters when you're meeting somebody for the first time in person and you're able to say, here are three companies we have identified that are similar to what you're doing, and look at what we did for them. And hear their phone numbers, call them and ask them about it. Um, it's it's yeah. usually it, it occurs to me that, that it might be useful for us to actually say what our businesses oh. are, um, since we sort of sure yeah Steve, why don't you go that's first? a thing might yeah. be relevant. Uh, I'll go okay. I'll go first. Um, so I do um, startup coaching. Basically, oh. I work with a lot of organizations that are either in the process of scaling or are trying to create new lines of business. So I work both with independent startups, CEOs, and founders on setting up their business at scale and, and using lean startup. And then I also work with um, like innovation labs within large corporations that are trying to create a repeatable process. To do the same. Whereas my agency brilliant B R L L N T dot co is a uh, digital experience partner that helps you build and tell your story in all sorts of verticals, including creative marketing and technology. Uh, so yeah, a lot of the people that we talk to need to see examples of the work that we've done, whether they're websites or new products or marketing campaigns or social media management or the like. Um, and that is the sum total of selling that yeah, we'll imagine, be doing on this. I swear to God. I imagine it's a lot easier for you to have a, a portfolio of things to do to, to show to folks because you've got the the work there and it's typically public, mm -hmm. right? Because it's yeah. on their website, it's out there already. And uh, that's one of the things that I have struggled with on occasion is, you know, when I'm working with a company on their internal problems, and and particularly when I'm working with a large corporation on innovation stuff, they don't want me to talk right. about it at yeah. all. Yeah. Well. Um, you know, for whether whether that's a good idea for them or not, it does mean that it's a little harder for me to to put together you know testimonials and referrals and and do case studies because they don't want me to write a case study and, and say, hey, here's this thing that you know such and such large company is working on in their R and D department. Yeah, that sucks for you, man. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I you know it, it it comes with a territory, right? I mean, I think it's if you want to work in innovation, you have to be okay with some people not wanting to talk about the work. That you're yeah, doing. but at the same time, you should be able um, to foster I, those, I think those relationships into additional work. Surely that they be, would be able to say to other CEOs, sure. yeah. "Hey, this guy came in and really fixed stuff for us. You should hire him." Yeah, yeah. One and one of the things that I've that I've managed to do is. Um, so a shout out to, to Kevin DeWalt's um, So Helpful, um, which is a, a platform where, where folks take questions on uh, on Skype and things like that. Um, 
and I have done office hours on, on that for a long time. And I have a lot of testimonials from folks that have worked with yeah. that way. Um, and I have some, you know, I have some short testimonials about people from people that I've worked with as, as clients without going into sort of the, the longer, um, details of, of what I did for them. Um, but, uh, but a lot of those, you know, because I can't go into depth, I go for, for numbers. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's working or not, but, um, for example, you know, on my homepage, I think I've just got like a list of, of 10 people saying, you know, this was great, <laughs> basically, um, in various ways. I will be um, a reference it's, for you it's... anytime you want. I'll be like, he's a great co-host Thanks. and he's really funny and smart. Um, sometimes uh, he plays sound effects on his, on his keyboard. Uh, it's pretty great. You're going to do it, aren't you? Anyway. <laughs> I, I was tempted. I was tempted. They've been perfect with the Chewbacca sound, but that's yeah. fine too. Anyway, um, I didn't have it. I didn't have it queued up. Um, well, I would say this. I mean, just to, to wrap out this story. I mean, I think that anytime that you can talk about your success, no matter the format, that's always going to be a leg up versus not. You should always be tooting your own horn because nobody else will if you don't. So, of course, this is exactly going back to the first article we talked about about the yeah. uncomfortable questions, and it's you know it's definitely something people have sure. trouble with. I think one of the great things about referrals is that you don't necessarily have to toot your own horn. You can get someone else yeah, to do it for that. you. Um, and uh, that's, you know, at least for me, that's a lot easier to have somebody else talk about the, you know, their impression of the work that I did rather than trying to talk. You need about a hype myself. man. You give me a call. Indeed. Always, always. Um, so the next question we've got on our list here um, talking about uh, customer acquisition co costs, what strategies did you implement to improve your customer acquisition costs? Boy, that's a good question. Both simple and very, yeah, very broad. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think in general, finding a, I think in general, finding a consistent and good strategy can be challenging. Um, I think that, again, this really depends on your individual business. Um, if we're talking about a service-based industry, mm -hmm. you know, one of the challenges is going to be do you have the kind of business that can be advertised like we were talking about before on Facebook and Twitter and Google ads, et cetera, or does it really have to be something that is a little bit more pounding the pavement? Um, customer acquisition costs really vary between industry as well. It costs probably less money for me to go out and, and get a, it costs probably less direct money for me to go out and get a new client, but I might be losing a lot more time than somebody who can, you know, again, I keep going back to t-shirts just because it's an easy widget than somebody who can say, I know that with this website, the way that it's currently set up, if I spend $1,000, I can sell 100 t-shirts. And that's a harder translation depending on your business. Um, well, and I imagine as your as your firm is growing, you need to, you guys are probably doing a lot more about tracking the costs of, of business development, right? Yes. Yeah. Once, once you're beyond a, a tiny firm, you sometimes want to actually know what your customer acquisition costs, even if it is measured in, in time. Um, and I think we're starting to get there. Yeah. You know, particularly, yeah, particularly when you're thinking about doing lead gen um, you can do lead gen by going and speaking at a conference. Or you can do lead gen by doing, you know, inbound marketing on a blog. And uh, you might want to, uh, you might want to be able to. Absolutely. Those. Well, and, and one of the challenges that I have in my role is, is I'm one guy and we're a growing firm. And since I don't have other people that I can reliably mm -hmm. use for business development, it has to sit on me. So if anybody has any conferences, they think I should attend anywhere in the U S or any suggestions on blog posts you'd like to read. I'm happy to hear them. Um, Just send Jason, <laughs> Jason a Jason at brilliant.co. That's B-R-L-L-N-T.co. 
<laughs> podcast listeners. I'm not writing this down. That's ridiculous. Um, but no, absolutely. <laughs> Looking at the cost of time is very important and understanding the investment that you're not necessarily spending more money out of your bank account, but that you may not be gaining more revenue because of the time spent um, is an interest, uh, you know, is an interesting, is an interesting moment. Um, when you suddenly start to go, God, I spent 15, 20 hours trying to convince this guy to spend, you know, 20 grand with us. And I spent 10 hours with this guy and he's spending 50. What did I do differently between the two? Or am I just pitching the wrong kind of business? Oh, yeah, it's so hard to um, it's so hard to, to compare and, and try to draw some lessons out of it when your sample size is so small. Yeah. Right. When you're doing a consulting business where it's it's high dollar amounts and small numbers of customers you know, it's easy for a little bit of data to, to, to sort of throw it off. Whereas if you are, you know, if you're selling, you know, yeah. $1 widget or we'll go back to t-shirts again, if you're selling like a $15 t-shirt to a thousand people, you can, you can do a lot more slicing the data that way than if you're selling, you know, a $1,500 consulting yeah. package, to, you know, 15. Well, we yeah. get it. Well, I and I was going to say, I mean, then when you get in, we get into the question of scale and you and I have talked about this before when I was early on trying to find a, marketing solution that was low cost, low impact and high value for, um, you know, for startup founders. And just was like, I'm spending so much time trying to put together this cheap package that people like, even at 500 people don't want to spend money on. This isn't valuable for me. It's not valuable for me as a business, but to be able to say, you know, I, you know, give me $5,000 in the cost of building a, you know, uh, a campaign on Facebook and Twitter, and I can go and find you some really great information about your customers and about the opportunities that lay within these particular market segments that I can sell no problem. So it's interesting to me because I want to help, yeah. you know, I want to do what's right. And I want to, you know, I want to do what's right for startup founders and I want to make revenue on it. But there's such an there's such a, uh, an inherent problem in that space. It, it becomes a challenge to find the, the right opportunity there. Yeah, I, no, I think that's that's true. I think you know, fundamentally, a lot of a lot of improving customer acquisition cost is yeah. is experiments, right? We're going back to lean startup again. Um, it's you know, you you have to measure what your you have to actually know what your customer acquisition cost is, and then you have to run experiments on other possible channels, and you 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 pour resources into a channel until that customer acquisition cost goes higher than some other channel, and then you shift the the, the pipeline or you shift the, 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 the hose yeah. and you pour those resources into some other channel and, uh, and you have to measure it over time because customers, customer acquisition cost is going to change in different channels over time. And you, you know, there's, there's diminishing returns in a lot of channels and you want to be aware of when those diminishing returns mean your, your, your CAC has gone above the, the CAC in another uh, channel and, and shift those resources those accordingly. There we go. I knew customer acquisition cost. Sorry. Yeah. I just figured rather than saying customer acquisition cost yeah, like 15 times in a row, I would, I would actually agree. <laughs> well, and this does dovetail with one of the other questions from uh, from the SLP that you you have in our, our, uh, our rundown here. Because one of the questions is, is that after finding a viable customer acquisition channel, what are some of the common problems that a founder will encounter? Run, you know, fatigue is absolutely one of those challenges. And what sort of experiments or tests could have found a run to, to remove mm -hmm. those and optimize mm -hmm. the funnel? Um, there's there's about 40. And I think that it always starts with starting over from scratch, personally. Uh, maybe not necessarily every time, but it's certainly the best way to, mm -hmm. you know, sort of take it from a clean approach and say, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And how would we rebuild this if we were starting over from day one? Yeah. And, and particularly, I think the, the one of the challenges people run into when they don't start from scratch on, on channels is yeah. you get, uh, you get messaging mismatch, 
right? So you get, you know, you, you, you want, you want the landing page to, to match what people are expecting to see when they go there. Otherwise conversion drops through the floor, right? If you have a landing page that says like, Hey, thanks for liking us on Facebook. Here's, you know, here's that, that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that free report that we promised you. And then you, you send people to that page with, you know, Twitter traffic that's promising them something totally different. Yeah. When people land on that page, they're just going to yeah. bounce. Boy. I was going to say it was In literally and figuratively. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. I did. My one of my favorite yes. questions to ask somebody who's you know interested in marketing is to go, "What's a good bounce rate?" Just to see what their answer is. Because if somebody says, "Oh, like ninety percent," I'm like, "Do you think that that means retention?" Versus somebody who says, "Oh, good bounce rate is ten percent." I'm like, "Well, you're just making that up. You have no idea what's right." Okay, good. Well, isn't isn't some of it like if they if they answer right. the question, like the answer actually is the it depends is wrong, on the site, right? Because yeah. context matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although exactly. anybody who tells me exactly. that a good that a good bounce rate at ten percent is just lying, ten percent would be a flipping fantastic bounce rate, and I've only seen in my life a couple <laughs> of sites that have consistently gotten that, and it usually involves capturing them with some sort of video at the front that everybody has to watch. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, interesting. Yeah, there's that. Um, okay. Very cool. So. That that brings us to the to the end of this set of questions. Any any parting wisdom on uh, on customer acquisition, on marketing, and and bringing in, particularly at the early stage for folks who are you know, folks who are building their business, who are in the middle of building their business. What are the what's I the, think the parting, advice, parting advice is advice to folks? be flexible, to be comfortable in the discomfort, um, and that more than anything else, to be willing to try a lot of different things and to be accepting of the results, as long as you're doing it in a way that is scientific as well as pragmatic, um, it doesn't really matter what you get. You're going to get the right learnings and you're just going to have to build on them over time. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that's it. I think it's just, you know, dig in, do a lot of, do the hard work, be okay with the fact that you're not going to know what you're doing early on and then grow it from there. Because within, I guarantee anybody who starts doing ads for themselves, as long as they're taking an honest approach to it, if you take an agile approach to, oh my God, I can't believe I was about to say that. An agile approach to a lean problem. Oh, I am full of buzzwords today. God help me. Let me try that again. Do it in two weeks. Oh, good. Good, Be good. honest with yourself. Fix shit when it's broken. You know, sprint is, is also a buzzword. Two weeks. Just, just uh, to point that out there. No, I really don't. You want to try a third We're time? super bad at this. I can feel <laughs> literally every audience member just rolling their eyes at me. Anyway. Yeah, it's cool. We'll, we'll talk oh, about I'm we'll talk about we agile. Oh, goodness. Anyway, um, so we have a few minutes left. Uh, I want to take it back for a second to uh, one last thing. Um, we have talked a lot today about uh, entrepreneurs and people who are building their business, uh, people in spaces that are uncomfortable. Um, Teague, with your permission, I'd like to take it to a totally different part of the conversation, if that's okay. Okay. So um, I'd like to bring your guys' our audience's attention to um, something that's happening in actually the, the larger world of, of foreign policy, politics, et cetera. Um, you know, we don't spend a lot of time here talking about actual politics, and, and there's a reason for that, because frankly, that's for other guys who have more of a stake in those kinds of conversations. Um, but I wanted to bring everybody's attention to a, a very real and human challenge uh, that we're seeing that I, I'd love anybody's thoughts or, or, or responses to. Um, in the Washington Post recently, there was an article about a young man, um, Mustafa Hassan, 
who is 23 and is a Syrian refugee. And in case you're not aware, uh, Maryland's governor uh, has made it clear that he is not interested in receiving Syrian refugees. So unfortunately, in the shadows of, of uh, the Annapolis town, uh, the Annapolis City Hall, of course, this guy is, is having some challenges in being recognized and being respected. Um, but he's 23 years old. He's from a, a small farming hamlet, and he's trying to rebuild his life. Um, he's been through more challenge and more difficulty than any of us listening have probably ever experienced, certainly myself included, um, having seen his family torn apart by the war in Syria. Uh, he arrived in Maryland and is trying very hard to rebuild his life. And he's enrolled in uh, the local community college and he's working in jobs that none of us would want to take. And he's working as hard as he can to build his life. Um, I think with a focus very specifically on not only building himself up, but eventually helping those that have also been displaced by the, the civil war going on in Syria. Um, as somebody who has experienced, uh, I think, a tremendous amount of, um, well, a tremendous amount of hardship, um, I've decided, along with members of my family and, of course, uh, other folks here in the D.C. startup scene, to try to help in whatever ways we can. Uh, so in the show notes and here in the chat, we're linking to the story. Um, I'll also go ahead and link to... Uh, if you are feeling generous, and there's obviously no obligation here, but if you're feeling like you want to contribute, um, we're trying to help. Uh, we're, we're trying to help him um, raise his. Uh, well, we're trying to help him raise money to go to community college. Uh, Anne Arundel Community College is is part of the Maryland school system here. Um, if he's able to attend, he'll have a direct line to the University of Maryland, where he can study virtually anything and have a very very good education. Um, he's 23 years old. His life has been torn apart. You certainly don't have to donate if you don't have the time, energy, or money. But if you're inclined to or you just simply want to share the story to others that might be interested, um, I'd really appreciate it. I think that it's it's the kind of thing where it's really easy to think about problems as very far and away from our own. Um, and I think that in a world where we're all fortunate enough to have the problems of, gee, how do I find better targeting on, on Facebook versus my world got bombed and now I need to start over, I think it's worth every now and again taking a step back and recognizing that sometimes uh, it's really important to help others who don't necessarily have the ability to help themselves immediately. Uh, he lacks only the resources, not the drive, not the commitment, and not the dedication. Uh, and for those of you that can help, it's greatly appreciated. And for those of you that can't, we totally understand. But spread the word because I think every every little bit helps. Anyway, that's my good giving rant for the day. Uh, I hope that uh, it's well received. Certainly, certainly, I think so. I think that when your problem is, gee, I need to lock a contract for fifty thousand dollars, and they're trying to get me down to forty, it's a little different than uh, this guy's trying to raise fifty thousand dollars to go to college because his world got, you know, torn apart. Um, super, you know, super uplifting story actually. If you take the chance to read it, because as hard as it is, he has a remarkable attitude, and it's really impressive to see. Yeah. Anyway. Excellent. Teague, uh, I think I've talked a lot on this episode. I do apologize if, if at any point you felt as though I was going too far. But you know me. Once I get on a topic, I just keep going. Stop. That, that's you. why you're a great co-host. Teague, Teague texts in the background. I get these texts from him. Dude, you're going on forever. That's not true. You've never texted me. You're always very generous with that, and I appreciate it. <laughs> it's all no, it's, it's all G-chats, exactly not texts. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, it looks like we're wrapping up here. Teague, uh, if folks have follow-up questions, concerns, comments, just want to say hi, how should they reach out to you? Uh, they should reach out to me either on Twitter or on my website. Both of those are Teague Hopkins. Those teaguehopkins.com or at Teague Hopkins. That's T-E-A-G-U-E 
and Hopkins there like you, you would expect it to be. And I'm available on Twitter at Jason Nellis, J-A-S-O-N-N-E-L-L-I-S, or you can email me directly, Jason at Brilliant.co, and that's B-R-L-L-N-T dot co. Uh, you are also welcome to join us uh, anytime for any of our future shows, live or via podcast. You can find out more information on our website, startupjab.com. And of course, please, you know, follow us on Blab, follow us on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform, leave us a review, download an episode, tell a friend, all that lovely stuff. Um, Teague, am I forgetting anything? Wow. No. It's rare that I get it all in one fell swoop. All right, buddy. Well, it's as always, it's a pleasure to host a show with you. Uh, play us out. All right. Let's do it. Likewise. <laughs>